Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 8.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. to his disciples. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will gather before him as he will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, come you that are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food, or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you, or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did it for one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. And then he will say to those at his left hand, You that are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me, naked, and you did not give me clothing, sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, truly, I tell you, just as you did not do it for one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment but the righteous into eternal life. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. This is not an unknown passage of scripture. It's often preached. It's often taught. And quite frankly, you might be a little tired of hearing it. I understand that. But today I want us to look at it a little differently. See if we can open up something hidden in this text. I appreciate what Jesus is doing in this text because I'm one of those people who likes to know exactly what is expected of me. I want to know what expectations are and hopefully move beyond them. I want to know exactly what is expected of me, what I must accomplish, and then be given the opportunity to do that. So when I got to college, I fell in love with the syllabus. I love it when a professor hands me a document that tells me exactly what I have to do. If you would like an A in my course, here's what you will read, here are the books you will buy, here are the days you will come to class, here are the things that you will be tested on, here are the papers you will write and when they are due. And at the very end, I always appreciated when a professor would tell me, these are the things you will learn and will be expected to have gained before you leave. And so it was that 
I thrived in college, went to three different colleges, and they would give me that beloved syllabus, and I would immediately take it home, and I would enter all the dates into my calendar, and this was before digital calendars, so I would even go seven days before a paper was due to remind me that I needed to be doing the finished prep work to turn in this paper. And this was the way it was, and I thrived. I did very well in college because I knew exactly what was expected of me. Well, I was taking oceanography in a spring semester. It was a two-part course. So the fall semester was the beginning, part one, and part two was what I was doing in the spring, and most of my class had continued, so there was continuity of students. And the same professor was teaching. We knew what his modus operandi was at this time, and so when the semester began and he gave us our syllabus, he went over it briefly the first day, and then we got right back into work on oceanography. Well, about halfway through the semester, I got to class early, because I always got to class early, and I was sitting at my desk, and I had my paper on my desk, and some of my classmates and my friends started to arrive, and they started to sit down, and they were talking, and suddenly someone says, what is that? What? What is that on your desk? That's the paper that's due today. What paper? The paper. There's no paper due today. Yes, there is. Check your syllabus. <laughs> so sure enough, I had to pull out my syllabus and show them. And they said, the professor never told us that there was a paper due today. I said, sure, in the syllabus. <laughs> and they said, nobody has their paper. Literally, nobody had their paper. They said, you can't turn that in. Oh, yes, I can. <laughs> oh, yes, I can. So after an extended time of trying to convince me not to turn my paper in, the professor arrived, and the professor stood up at the front of the class and said, OK, you can bring your papers up and place them here. <laughs> I wouldn't look at them at that point. Are you kidding? The professor says. Where's everybody's paper? And he said, you know, I gave you a syllabus. I told you in the beginning that there were several papers. I gave you the dates. It was in the syllabus. And someone tried to say, but you didn't remind us. And he said, that's not my job. I told you when they were due. I gave you the syllabus. And he said, and I know what you're thinking. If she hadn't turned in this paper, then all of you would be excused. Well, no. You all had the same syllabus. But it does prove that at least one of you is capable of reading and following a syllabus. <laughs> I wasn't very popular after that. <laughs> but it's true that here in our scripture text, Jesus tells us what's on the final exam. Jesus tells us precisely what we are to do, when to do it, how to do it. You ask, what does it mean to be a disciple? And Jesus tells you, it is to let your faith be embodied. Now, if you are like me and you're a Methodist, then you would know that we don't believe that you can be saved by works. It is by sola fide, faith alone, that we are saved. Faith in Jesus Christ, his atoning death on the cross. We cannot earn it. We are not worthy of it. It is God's gift to us. And by that and that alone are we saved. And so that is ours. And it is enough. It is sufficient. 
And if you are planning on having that transformative moment where you realize that truth and you claim it for yourself, then you are finished and your work is done. If you're going to keel over about five minutes after that happens. If you plan on living for a little while, then you're going to have to do something. Because true faith is not hidden inside. True faith is not sequestered in our homes or in our heads or in our hearts. True faith is embodied, enlivened, and powerful. True faith is so powerful that it transforms not just the believer, but the world. And so John Wesley gave us a gift by articulating that there is no personal holiness without social holiness. If we were a people that believed it was only about us, then we had failed to be disciples of Jesus Christ because our faith is meant to transform the world, society, other people. We were meant to be those who would go out and live and love in the name of the Savior whose grace we claim. And so Jesus tells us precisely what that looks like. Tells us that if we truly want to be believers, if we want our belief to be valid and deeply, profoundly true, then we must let it transform. It must transform we who exist in a world that wants to be served. We are raised to think that we should be served. That if I have the right club memberships, if I pay the right amount of money, if I achieve the right status, that the world will serve me. And yet the one who deserved to be served above all else came to be our slave. And we are to follow that countercultural example. That if all those who were Christians, who sought to be disciples, were to embody this, the crib sheet for the final exam, we would actually make the earth spin counter on its axis. That we could change the way the entire world understands power because we would serve. We are called to do six very specific things. To feed those who are hungry. To give the thirsty something to drink. To welcome the stranger to clothe those who are naked, to visit those who are sick, and to visit those who are in prison. Because these are those that don't yet realize that they are known and loved and of sacred worth to our God. It is hard to believe in your heart that you are special and worthy when your stomach is growling so loudly. It is hard to profess Belief in Jesus Christ and sing the songs of our faith when your throat is parched and dry and scratched because you have nothing to drink. It is hard to stand up and stand righteous and just, even with the gift of grace, when you are ashamed and embarrassed because of your nakedness. Everything that Jesus is telling us to do has purpose because all of those things, hunger, thirst, loneliness, nakedness, illness, and imprisonment are barriers to faith and transformation. And those of us who are here who have been in an incredible encounter with our God, we know how necessary it is to nurture that, 
that it's not a one and done. We aren't just Christmas and Easter people. Oh, no. We are those who know that we walk with Jesus Christ every day of our lives. And we come here on Sunday morning to give thanks for the fact that Jesus has chosen to walk with us every single day of our lives. And to ask, how, God? How can I do more? Why, God? Why do I still have these obstacles, these barriers? Can you help remove them so that I can go further and I can do more? Jesus has told us precisely what we must do. And he has described for first those first disciples and then for us exactly what the book of Revelation says. That when he returns, when the throne descends from heaven and the kingdom of heaven comes to earth, this is what his job will be. To separate the sheep from the goats. The sheep, those who believe, those who have done the work of the Father, those who have desired to be disciples to the fullest extent of our being. Those who recognize that we are part of God's beloved flock. And then the goats. Those who do not feel worthy. Those who have not heard the good news. Those who have not let that faith take hold in their hearts. Our job is to make sure there are as few goats as possible. Our job is to do what the kids said was really ridiculous. And they're right. It is utterly ridiculous to think that you and I, that we are going to transform a goat into a sheep. It's physically impossible. I don't care what science is doing. That's not possible. But we serve a God of impossible things. We serve a God who does miracles even now today. We serve a God who is so powerful and so capable that through weak, fragile vessels like you and I, Miracles can be done in the lives of others. That we can take someone who thinks they are a goat, who is going to live out their life as a goat, and we can be part of that process of God that transforms them into the flock. And we will only do that if we let the love that we first received from God be embodied in how we care for them. Now you can do something without caring. You can serve somebody without loving them but we're called to something bigger. Every single year, at the time of Lent, we should be asking ourselves, where does my discipleship stack up to what Jesus expects of me? Have I been doing these things? Now, there are churches that do some of these really well. There are churches that are constantly feeding the hungry. They have clothing pantries and clothing closets in order to clothe the naked, and they may have an incredible ministry to the sick, but it's not enough. We have more. We should be doing more because until the kingdom will be filled with sheep and as much as is possible, we have mitigated the goats, then we are not done. We have work to do and we should be striving to make sure that more and more we are doing all of those things. And it looks different for different people because we're not all the same. That time and talent survey will reveal to us that we have an incredible breadth of gifts and graces. And God intends for that because there are things that you can do that I can't do. We can't all preach. Wouldn't that be a mess? <laughs> if all of you suddenly stood up and got up over here, yeah. 
But instead, that's what I'm called to do. And they are called to help me lead worship. And there are those in the back that are called to make us sound better when we lead worship. Because we lead worship for you. We come here and use our time, our talents, our gifts, and our graces to help you. Because the face of Christianity is not this. It's you. You are the faces that they will see. You know, it's really kind of funny that there was a long time, well, it's not funny, it's tragic, that for a long time, people thought that pastors only worked on Sunday. My grandmother was one of these people. And so after seminary, I moved back to Virginia, and I was living in Williamsburg, and my grandmother lived out in Bowers Hill, Chesapeake, which means I had to travel through the Hampton Roads Bridge Tunnel to see my grandmother. And she was widowed, and I would take every Friday that I was off, and I would drive through that tunnel, and I would pick her up, and we would go somewhere that she wanted to go for lunch, and I would take her around and drive, and we would run any errands that she had or visit somebody that she wanted to visit, and then I would drop her off, and I would drive back through the Hampton Roads Bridge Tunnel, and I would come home. And one day she said to me, you know, you only visit me once a week. And I said, yes. I was like, uh, you know, I, I, between work and the tunnel, I only get down here once a week. And she goes, what do you work? What do you mean you only work on Sundays? <laughs> I love you. I love you. I love you. Because I don't just work on Sundays. The last three weeks, I have spent lots of hours visiting two households where we have members actively dying. I have spent time at the medical center at UVA and at Martha Jefferson. I have been visiting people who were sick. I have helping, I've been helping to prep Bible studies and Lenten studies and other curriculums. But all of that is not readily viewable. Now, I mean, if you want to come hang out over here in the office, you can see me. But the world is not going to come into the basement of the Kent building to see me. But God, in infinite wisdom, has decided that the world will see God in you. When you go out to the grocery store, when you go out to get gas, when you go out to school, to work, to play, when you go out in your neighborhood, when you encounter your neighbors, the world will see you. And the world will know that by your love and care of them, that God does love and care. Because if this is the face of Christianity, we are in trouble. You know, the song that we sung, it said that, that you get weird looks for the life that you live. Yeah, I get weird looks. And they see me coming and they're like, no, whatever she's dealing, I don't want it. But they don't see you coming. You're their friends, you're their family, you're their coworkers, their neighbors. They feel safe around you. And so God will infiltrate lives and hearts through you. You are the means by which this world will start to change. And I am but a piece of that system. I am but a part of that holy plan. And at the end of the day, when we sit around and we wonder to ourselves in the depths of our hearts, God, am I good enough? And we know that the answer is no. That's why Jesus died for us. When we sit around and we think to ourselves, have I done enough? And we know the answer is no. But am I doing what you would want me to do, God? Am I starting to do what you would have me do? 
Matthew 25. God has given us the answer long before the day of the test. And notice that Jesus doesn't say, I'm going to stand there with a clipboard and see if you've accrued a thousand hours in worship. I'm going to make sure that you've been to at least two decades worth of Christmas and Easter. God doesn't say, you know, I hope that you have a membership with a reputable denomination, a fully accredited. God doesn't ask you to quote four verses from the Old Testament and four verses from the New and repeat the Apostles' Creed with no help. Instead, God says, was your faith so incredible that you couldn't help but move? You couldn't help but be my hands and my feet, my mouth and my ears, my presence with the sick, my presence with the imprisoned. These are the goats. These are those who feel like they have no use. And yet by our love, you and I, our incredible acts of grace for them, God can take all of that and make it into the kingdom of God. But we have work to do. This is our task. And Jesus hasn't just given us the syllabus and walked away. Jesus is here teaching us molding us, encouraging us, challenging us, helping us to grow in faith and love and hope because it is a mighty task. And when it is over, you will have greater than earned your doctorate in discipleship. You will have earned the right to say that I served because my faith was so great. My faith in the grace that saves. Let this be what we strive for this Lent, that we look for the ways in which we have not been good disciples, and we seek to grow just a little bit every year, every year diving deeper into ministry, every year setting aside something that blocks our way, because God has willed it, God has called it, and you and I have been saved to serve. May it be so in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.